Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Hey gang, two quick updates today before we jump into today's show. Uh, first, I have new hats, new Truth from the Stand trucker hats in the store. So if you would like to pick yourself up one here after Christmas, I have them in and I will get them shipped out to you directly. All you have to do is go to truthfromthestand.com and head to the shop page and the hats are there. You can select them. PayPal is a, is the, is the uh, method of payment. And then I will get those shipped out to you. Secondarily, uh, I know I mentioned in the previous podcast that I have a big announcement, hopefully here after the first of the year, I'm trying to get a date locked down as to when I can kind of let the cat out of the bag. But if you would like, as I'd mentioned, I'm going to announce it here on the podcast, but if you would like to make sure you get involved, there will be a link that will be involved uh, to, 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 I guess, direct you to a, an online property where you can get more involved and, uh, and, and, and can share some things with some friends and family and so forth. If you would like to be on that list, uh, please head to truthfromthestand.com and go ahead and sign up for our newsletter because I'll be sending out an email letting you know when when the when the top secret project is live and how you can be a part of it. So truthfromthestand.com, check out the trucker hats, pick one up after, after Christmas, and then also be sure to sign up for the newsletter to be on the on the inside circle of the top secret project that I'll be launching here in the new year. Hello and welcome to the Truth From The Stand Deer Hunting Podcast. I'm your host, Clint Campbell, and you're listening to episode number 100, brought to you by Wicked Tree Gear. Today I'm joined by the working man's deer hunter, Steve Stoltz, and we're talking about deer calls and how to call effectively. So stay tuned. All right, all right. What is up, everyone? Merry Christmas, first and foremost, to all of you out there. If you're listening to this on Wednesday, it's the day 
after Christmas. Uh, I'm, of course, back at work at this point. Uh, but I hope everyone had a chance to spend some time this weekend and uh, over the holidays with some with some friends and family and just enjoy some good company, get a little rest and relaxation. I certainly needed it this past week. Uh, was a, was quite a grinder at, at work with some ridiculously long hours. So I was very much looking forward to having the weekend off. And then, of course, Monday and Tuesday. And hope everyone out there has some really cool safe plans for the for the new year. Uh, not a whole lot to catch up on today here on the on the uh, the upfront um, as you know the deer season here is kicking back off. I guess well actually today if you're listening to it on Wednesday it'll be kicking back off for the second season. So I'll be planning to get back into the into the saddle and uh, and do a little bit of hunting. Try to fill at least a handful of my other doe tags. Maybe try to get on a buckaroo or two. Um, I still have my buck tag here to fill. I doubt I'm going to get out to Ohio to do any do any damage with that one. Um, did get a chance to get a goose hunt in. That was a lot of fun. Uh, but really just this past weekend, took a little break. I've been running kind of hard since, you know, September when my season kicked off through archery season. And then, of course, you know, getting into the goose blind and so forth. So I was just kind of spending this weekend recharging the batteries. And then we'll uh, get ready for a, a late season, a late season push. But before I jump into, you know, giving a heads up on what today's show is all about, I do want to just take a quick second to say, you know, thank you to all of you out there who listen to the podcast. Uh, it, it, it means a lot to John and I that you guys spend an hour of your day, you know, consistently, you know, listening to us talk on about deer hunting and just anything that kind of pops into our mind to talk about. This is the 100th episode, uh, you know, whenever I, you know, started this thing, I guess it was almost three years ago now, um, didn't know how long it would last or, you know, how, how many episodes I would do. Really didn't fathom getting it, getting to the hundredth episode, to be quite honest with you. Um, so it's a really cool kind of milestone and I, it's, I certainly can't take, uh, take all the credit for it. It's, you know, has a lot to do with all of you out there listening, the cool guests that we've had come on folks being willing to come on and talk to John and I, of course, if, of course, early on Phil joining, uh, whenever he, he and I originally kind of kicked this thing off and then, you know, John coming on for the past, you know, year, year and a half. Um, it's really due to all those things. I'm probably a very small part of what, uh, of what takes place on, on this show. Um, but am, uh, very grateful that all of you folks tune in and, and, and listen to us and, and give us your ear for a little bit of time to hopefully, you know, settle you into some deer hunting, maybe get you away from your daily grind and think about, uh, think about deer hunting, the things that we're, you know, passionate about, you know, spending time in the timber and stuff like that. So with that, thank all of you, um, for, for spending some time with us. You know, we much appreciate it. So on to today's show, speaking of those great guests that have come on that have made, you know, the job on this side of the microphone a lot easier. Uh, today we have Steve Stoltz on. And uh, Steve is a fellow. He he. Well, he's on the, a TV show or a web show uh, called Buckman, and he's really kind of known, I guess, known as the the working man's deer hunter. Um, really, uh, for all intents and purposes, you know, the, his show is really the premise of it is really based around a bunch of guys who you know work normal jobs and normal dudes don't have a ton of money that are you know to spend on you know really expensive leases and you know don't have you know you know, huge parcels of land to, to manicure and manage to the, to the utmost. So, you know, they, they hunt real world scenarios and scenarios that, you know, you and I, you know, probably familiar with hunting. Um, that's kind of the premise of the show. Uh, Steve's been in the industry a long time. You know, he'll, he'll talk about this a little bit when we, when we get him on, but, you know, he really kind of started cutting his teeth, um, early on whenever he got into the, uh, what I'll call like the more the filming side or the media side of the business, um, you know, with the, with the Drury's, he was one of the early, early folks who was working with them whenever they first kind of started up the whole, you know, concept of, you know, capturing, you know, um, kill a mature deer on, on film. Um, he just kind of took it from there and, you know, and, and has kind of stayed within, 
stayed in the hunting industry and stayed, you know, stayed within, you know, making TV shows or videos, you know, whichever it might be. He's had a couple other stints. Um, uh, earlier he had, he had another show. I think it was for Remington, if I'm not mistaken. Um, but he's got a wealth of knowledge whenever it comes to, when it comes to deer hunting, he's actually a, a world champion turkey caller, uh, which it seems like all those guys from the Drury team, especially early on, all kind of had that under their belt. They're, you know, killer turkey callers. Um, and so it kind of got me to think whenever I started kind of reading Steve's bio and, and, and was reaching out to him was, you know, a lot of times, you know, we, we think of calling, you know, and, and, and we think of it in terms of turkey hunting because that's where you get the most kind of interactivity. And then if you go out west and hunt, you know, elk hunting, you know, is, uh, is similar. Um, you know, it's just a 900 pound turkey maybe is a better, better way to explain it. But you get that engagement and that interactivity with you and the, and the wildlife you're chasing. And of course, you do some calling whenever you're, you know, when you're waterfowl hunting and stuff like that, too. Um, but whenever people think of deer hunting, they probably don't think of calling a lot. Um, it's probably one of the last things they think of. You know, we oftentimes think of all the strategy and all the stand stand placement, trees we're going to prep, you know, food plots, patterns, moon phase, like all those all those things, barometric pressure, what weather's coming in, is the backside, the front side, the front, whatever the case might be. Um, and we probably don't think a whole lot about calling. And when we hit the stand, if we get something in range, you know, calling can have a lot of do, you know, to whether or not you get a shot opportunity or not. You know, I've had it play out for me um, and I don't claim to be the best caller in the world. And I think I would go even further and say I'm guilty of this, that I probably don't even understand as well as I should the different types of sounds and what they mean. You know, I think I've gotten better over the years at it. Um, you know, of course, part of that is reading a deer's language body language to understand what type of call you should maybe be using or not using a call at all, you know, in certain instances. Um, and so I think that's one of those aspects of deer hunting that's really probably kind of overlooked. Uh, and so knowing that Steve is a, a, a world-class caller, um, and he just recently started working with this app where he has put out different calling sequences, um, it play you can listen to a deer actually make the sound then he will mimic the sound with a call and and then you can actually tap into certain sections and it'll give you times a year when it's best used you know what type of uh, i guess response you would look for from a deer from for that given call etc etc it's really kind of a nice tutorial to kind of get you hip to what you're what you should be looking for and when you should be using certain types of calls um so that is what our conversation is going to be about uh, looking forward to looking forward to the chat and we will get Steve on the line here in just one second. But before we do that, let's take a quick second to talk about our partners that continue to help us make this podcast possible. We are brought to you by Wicked Tree Gear, the longest, lastest, fastest cutting, toughest tree trimming equipment you have ever used. Simply put, the toughest saws on earth. How tough are they? Tough enough to come with a lifetime warranty. Right now, when you visit wickedtreegear.com, use the promo code TRUTH at checkout and get a 20% discount on your Wicked purchase. We're also brought to you by Exodus outdoor gear the new exodus trek is a byproduct of all consumer voices who have been excited about what exodus truck cameras have to offer but just can't fit a 200 dollars camera in their budget and that's okay they have a budget-friendly camera now called the trek the trek comes in at 145 dollars same proprietary shell design as the as the killer lift two or lift series cameras same five-year warranty customer service policy, photo, video, time-lapse, and hybrid modes, all with a simple, single-line backlit LED display. You also get about 20,000 images on one set of lithium batteries. If you'd like to learn more about Exodus Trail Cameras, check them out at exodusoutdoorgear.com. If you are digging what you are seeing, use the promo code TRUTH at checkout and save yourself 20 bucks. We're also brought to you by Glacier Cooler, simply the world's finest. Whether you're hunting, camping, or fishing, you'll enjoy smarter design, stronger construction, and superior insulation of Glacier Coolers. Visit them at GlacierCoolers.com. And now, 
Let's get Steve on the line. All right, folks, welcome back to another episode of the Truth From The Stand Deer Hunting Podcast. And today I'm joined by an interesting fellow that I've been kind of checking out for a while. I listened to him actually on some separate podcasts, watched some of his uh, his hunting uh, uh, online web show as well. Um, this man's name is Steve Stoltz. Uh, you might know him from the TV show or the web show uh, Buckman. I actually believe it's on, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, Steve, is it on Pursuit Channel? I want to make sure I get that right. Is it Pursuit? It was on pursuit of our season one and season two, um, and can be, uh, you can go to our YouTube channel, Buckman TV, just go to YouTube, type in Buckman TV, that's B-U-C-K-M-E-N TV, and uh, you can catch all uh, season one and season two episodes on our YouTube channel and the uh, other thing aside from buckman the one thing that i did learn about you and what we'll, we'll definitely get into today this is part of our topic of conversation but you are a a world-class turkey caller so it's i'm always envious of folks who are good at turkey calling because i am a self-admitted probably one of the worst turkey callers you've ever met in your entire life <laughs> it's one of those things where i just cannot seem to figure out i happen to when i do go turkey hunting i usually take a buddy with me that's better at calling than i am in the hopes of, uh, of getting a bird in front of me. But, uh, I know that you definitely have some chops when it comes to uh Turkey calling. how'd you, how'd you get into that? Well, I, you know, it, it, it's, it's funny you mentioned that first off, um, you know, it, it, it doesn't take a champion caller to, to call in turkeys. Um, it, but it, when you combine championship calling with good hunting skills, you're just going to drop more turkeys. I mean, that's, that's, that's the way it is. Uh, so the better you caller you are and the more skilled caller you are it's going to do nothing but help and it's the same way with deer calling as well right um and we'll get into that but um you know how you know that's how a lot of the guys and the hunters uh the top high profile guys that you see on tv uh whether it be uh, mark and terry drury or um michael waddell um just uh, there's a whole big list of those, um, you know, high profile people that started out, that's where their roots were, was competitive turkey calling. Um, how, I, how I personally got into it is, of course, my dad was a hunter and a turkey hunter. Um, and, you know, he, he started me at a very young age. As a matter of fact, I was probably nine or 10 years old when he handed me my first Penswood mouth diaphragm call, you know, and, and, put it in my mouth and started running it. And, you know, just like any typical eight, nine, 10 year old, however old I was, um, you know, I started calling probably within minutes. I was, I was, I was yelping and clucking and purring and doing everything that you need to do with a mouth call, you know, and, and that's when to start, um, uh, learning. If you can't, if you can start your kids, start your nephews, your, your nieces, your family, your, you know, maybe um, if you don't have any kids in your family, maybe a friend's family, and get them get them started early. Uh, the youth of 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 America is the future of our sport. So, the more that we can, you know, uh, uh, mentor those kids, uh, and, and, and the more kids you get involved, the the more secure our sport for the future and our children's future will be. So. Um, my dad did a good job with that and, and, and my brother as well. My brother's a phenomenal hunter. Um, 
but he created a, a, a let's just say, a, a, he instilled in us, in us, a a desire to hunt uh, by putting enough out there that he didn't force it down our throat. Um, but he would do things like um, if he went quail hunting when he came home with the quail, he'd make my brother and I clean the quail, um, and, and and that just I mean. When you're cleaning a bunch of quail, next thing you want to do while you're cleaning them is, you know what? I want to hunt them someday. And I, <laughs> I don't want to be just the one, you know, wringing the necks and 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 and, and tearing the skin off the quail. Right. Um. And the same way with a wild turkey. I mean, I can. I'll never forget. You know, I was in my you know single digits. You know, seven, eight, nine years old. He'd come home with a wild turkey in the spring and. My brother and I'd have to boil the water and dip the turkey and pluck all the feathers off the turkey. Of course, later on in life, I learned that uh, it's easier just to breast them out and fry that turkey breast up. But, right. <laughs> um, you know, bottom, bottom line is it created, you know, I, 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 I know every bit of anatomy on a turkey. I know how to pluck a turkey. I know how much work and labor it is. Now I would love to see one strutting out in the wild and goblin. And so then of course the next step he would he took us out to show us that. Just showing us, not not with a gun in our hand. And then eventually, uh, of course, where we got old enough he he'd let let us actually hunt. So that's how I that's how I got started, just from being a little kid and being around my dad, who was a, a, a very avid hunter. In fact, he was also a big game hunter. Um uh, he took three out of the four uh, uh, sheep, ram, that, that you're allowed to get. Never able to pull a desert uh, bighorn sheep uh, permit. He's, you know, elk, caribou, grizzly bear, black bear, uh, about every every game animal in North America. My, 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 my dad was, was fortunate enough to be able to take. Um, me and my brother, we became more kind of strictly whitetail turkey mm-hmm. uh, hunters and small game as well. Of course, we did the dove and the quail and the rabbit, the squirrel and every right. everything that, you know, how that is. Um, but that's how I got started. Turkey calling. I uh, picked it up very early. I think probably within ye- several years after I started calling, my dad noticed a very distinct... Um, talent that i had in that uh my rhythms and my cadence and my sound qualities were uh in his estimation better than he he heard would hear a lot of his friends or different people that he would hear back then he's talking about back in the 60s and 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 through the 70s right um and so uh fast forward in 1979 I was uh, yeah, still in high school, and they had a big calling turkey calling contest at, at, at the local high school gym. And at that contest, they were going to do an auction for different hunting items. And a big expert, turkey hunting expert at the time, and he's passed away since, uh, but his name was Leroy Browngart, mm-hmm. um, uh, or... Some people say Brungart, but um, he was uh, Leroy was big at that time uh, in teaching the art of turkey calling and hunting. And uh, I just looked so 
forward to seeing Leroy uh, speak at this seminar. I mean, he was a, I was, you know, I was a big idol of his. And so my dad asked me if I wanted to go to the calling contest and see Leroy. And I said, absolutely. About a day before the contest, it was on a Friday evening. He says to me, Steve, um, when you go, when we go, would you bring your turkey calls with you? And I said, how come dad? He said, well, I, I've got several friends there. I want 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 them to hear you call. Huh. I said, okay, Dad, I'll do that. So you know, of course, being obedient to your father, right? I brought my turkey calls with me, and we got there, Clint, and it was oh, jam packed with people, and uh, turkey callers were out in the hallways practicing, and the calling that I heard was. Just mesmerizing how good a sound I was hearing. And I was like, oh my gosh, they're, I mean, these are the best callers in the, in the world here. And, and actually they were, they were the best callers, certainly in the Midwest. And there was callers there, the likes of Ray I and Walter Parrott and, and Ralph Duran and Gary, Billy Williams and Randy Gower and uh, Kenny Mounts and, Oh, the, the list goes on and the names go on of old uh, turkey calling legends from the Midwest from back in that time, Wayne Gendron. And I, I was listening to all these people and just mesmerized. And, of course, then Leroy gave a seminar and he was a little long-winded, but that was okay. He was very entertaining. Right. And when Leroy's seminar was done... My dad walked up to me and they was going, okay, we're going to take a 15-minute break and we're going to start the turkey calling contest. And my dad walked up to me and said, you got your calls? And I said, yes, sir. He said, good, because I entered you into the contest. <laughs> yeah, that's good stuff there. I'm like, dad, I, I can't call in this contest. I've never called in. I, I didn't come to compete. And he goes, well, I paid $5 for you to call in a contest. You're going to call. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, Okay, and and so I went and found out the calls, and one of them that they asked for was Kiki Run. Well, this was 1979. There had not been a fall turkey season in the state of Missouri, um, except for archery uh, before that. <clears throat> so I really wasn't. I, I had I did not learn how to do the Kiki. So I went to my dad and I said, "Well, I tell you, I can't call because I can't do the Kiki." And he said, "Oh no, you're still going to call. Just walk over and ask one of those guys to teach you." So I walked over and tapped on, you know, I saw a guy standing there in, a, in, in blue jean coveralls, looked like the blacksmith from Silver Dollar City. <laughs> and, uh, no, seriously, he had a beard, you know, an old, dirty, old, uh, not dirty, but old, ragged, uh, well-worn uh, hunting hat. Right. Um, looked, like, looked like a guy from the Ozarks, you know. And, yep. And uh, I said, excuse me, sir. And he said, yeah, yes, sir. And, he, and, and I said, could you help me out? He goes, what do you need, son? And I go, well, my dad entered me in this turkey calling contest, and I have no clue how to do the kiki run. And he just laughed. He goes, okay, come on out in the hallway. And we went out there, and he said, put, put your call in your mouth. And uh, I did. He said, now, uh, give me a high note. And I went, Eek. and he said, okay, so when you get that high note, just say PPP three times. And I went, PPP. And he goes, now yelp afterwards. And I went, and he goes, right there. He goes, that's the key, key run. He goes, you're liable to beat me, son. 
Well, that man was none other than Mr. Ray I. So, (laughs) uh, yeah. So, you know, right there kind of shows you how I, you know, when I started, I right away started kind of rubbing elbows with some of the top people in the industry right from the get go. Um, and then when that happens and when you surround yourself with, with, you know, I always say, if you surround yourself with greatness, great things will happen. And, and so that's how I got started and took fifth place in that calling contest, 32 callers in that contest. And it was my first one ever called right with the pros and took fifth place. That's awesome, man. That's a, that's a cool story how you got started kind of hunting. I mean, it, it's interesting because, you know, I, I of course didn't get in, into calling, but the, the, when you were kind of mentioning about, you know, cleaning, cleaning up the birds after your dad would bring them home, it's like those, that's actually my earliest memory of hunting was my dad bringing home turkeys and, you know, I'd go outside and help him, you know, butcher the turkey and stuff like that. And my very first memory is he had a particular knife that he liked to use. It was his, his hunting knife. Right. And he didn't take it with him. He went and he got a turkey and he came back and he was, he was outside getting ready to take care of it. And he asked me, I was, I think I was maybe five. He just said, Hey Clint, will you go inside to the gun cabinet and, uh, get, get my buck knife. And I said, sure. So, you know, as you mentioned, being an obedient son, I ran in and got his buck knife and I'm walking through the yard down to him and I was thinking, you know what, I'll be, you know, I'm like five years old. So I'm thinking, you know, what'll, what'll really show him that I'm, you know, willing to help and I'm real interested and I'm going to help my dad out is I'm going to go ahead and open his knife for him. Right. Cause it was a, a hinge knife. Right. So I went to, open oh, yeah. it. I went to open it and I was just five. So I was, you know, not barely strong enough to pull it open. And I, and I slipped like my hand slipped and the knife sprung back shut on my hand on my thumb. And nearly, cut, nearly cut my thumb off. Like caught me like right in the that back knuckle that kind of attaches to your hand. You know what I mean? Ooh. Yeah, it was. Yeah. Uh, it, it wasn't good. So that was my first like my first memory of like a hunting experience with my dad was was that one. I mean, we had turkeys growing up too. We always had a flock of turkeys uh, growing up as well that we that we raised and stuff like that. So I was always around turkeys, which you would think for that. I'd be a better turkey hunter than I am, but uh, it didn't quite work out. <laughs> it didn't quite work out that way. But uh, you mentioned, I want to, I want to transition here because you'd mentioned something earlier with, you know, talking about the youth being, you know, important. And I a hundred percent agree with you. I do what I can do to get my daughter out in the timber. I take her turkey hunting. That's usually the hunts, the hunts we do every year is for turkey, you know, especially spring because the weather's a little, little nicer and, and stuff like that. Um, you know, absolutely important and big advocate of that. But I'm curious, you know, you've been in the industry a long time and, you know, rubbed elbows with some, you know, as you'd mentioned just a, a moment ago, some giants um, in the industry legends, you know, from from the old timers and stuff like that. And then, you know, I know early on, you know, in the in the 90s, you also did work with the Drury's whenever, you know, Drury Outdoors was really, you know, at the the early stages of what they were ultimately going to become and stuff like that. So I'm just curious your perspective, because you've seen a lot, you know, through your years hunting and just through your years of being in the industry, you know, what, you know, what's changed in general, in your opinion, over the years, both good and bad, as you've kind of seen it grow up? Well, yeah, I, I, um, you know, obviously, uh, uh, started, uh, uh, in 1989, Mark Drury and Terry Drury and myself started Drury Outdoors. Um, so I was I was one of the original three that started that company. Had no ownership of the company, um, and still very good friends with those two. Um, but we'll we'll get into a little bit of that later. But uh, you know, again, that that was a, a wise move on my part to to uh, to help 
kind of shape the industry as far as hunting videos. We felt like we could do a hunting video as good as anybody else that was doing them at the time. One of the biggest ones was Will Primos, and we felt we could do uh, as as good as what Will was doing. Not taking nothing away because Will's phenomenal, phenomenal hunter, phenomenal person. I, I know Will personally; he's a great guy. Um, but we just wanted to. We felt like we could do as good or better. And so that's why we started filming. And we had no clue it would turn into the what it has turned into today. So that leads me to my next uh, answer to your to my answer to your question. I'm sorry, and that is what the biggest difference has changed from those years to now is is technology and information. Um, there is so much information at your fingertips now between digital media. Um, uh, videos, YouTube, uh, television shows, um, you know, and of course for a while it was videos and DVDs. Um, now, now you can pull up on your phone, of course, uh, like the new whitetail app that, that we've just come out with called whitetail tech. You can literally load, you can literally load me on your phone and pick my brain on, on whitetail hunting. And again, we'll get into more of that later, but that's the biggest change is the information is so ready and so out there where when I was growing up, you were lucky to be able to read a turkey hunting article by Dave Harbor or Roger Latham, uh, you know, people like that, the, the, the pioneers and, you know, Dwayne Bland. Um, and, and I mean, I'd look forward to every year for that one spring turkey hunting article that would come out in outdoor life. Um, in, in, in either March or April. And I would read that article 50 different times, <laughs> um, you know, just, just to study that material. Um, and, and now you can just, you know, get on your computer or get on your phone and Google tur- Turkey calling and you could watch me or Matt Van Sice or, um, Josh Grossenbacher or Scott Ellis or some of your top callers that are in the industry today, Jesse Martin, any of them. And, uh, you can watch us call in the grand national championships. Uh, just, just punch it in your phone. Just Google 2018 grand national finals. And you'll, it'll bring you up on YouTube or on the national Wild Turkey Federation Facebook page. And you can watch the finals of the 2018 grand nationals and watch all the top callers call where back in the day, if you wanted to hear a top caller call, you had to travel to a calling contest to watch them call. So my, my point is this, we have come so far with technology that sometimes in my opinion, we forget where we came from and that we are still hunters and we are still, uh, you still have to learn how to hunt before you can learn to kill trophy whitetails. You still have to not, never be ashamed of anything you take, whether it's a small animal, a medium-sized animal, or a mature buck, uh, or small turkey, medium-sized turkey, or a big old, you know, five-and-a-half-year-old gobbler. You should be proud of anything that you feel that's worthy of taking. And I think a little of us have lost, a little of the hunting industry has lost sight of that. Um, and, and so that that is that is a huge difference. And I think. We, you know, as much as we talk about, and we will talk a lot on this podcast, probably from this point forward, 
about hunting mature whitetails, but don't lose focus in the fact that not everybody can hunt just mature whitetails. It's not for everybody. Um, and certainly as a young hunter is learning to hunt, they need to learn shot angles. They need to learn how to just shoot deer. And that means just shooting any deer in the first deer to walk by. And I don't care whether it's a doe, whether it's a button buck, whether it's a forkhorn, and be proud that you shot that animal. And just know that that is your learning tool. That is your tutorial in life to learn to later on, okay, now I've shot 20 deer with my bow or 30 or whatever. It's not about numbers. But now I'm ready to take it to the next level and pass that forkhorn up and wait for an eight point or pass that eight point up and wait for a two and a half or three and a half year old or pass that three and a half year old up. I'm going further in your hunting career and say, you know what? I, I might have a three and a half or four and a half in front of me, but I know there's a seven and a half on this farm and I'm going to wait for him. And so that, that all takes the, uh, a process of evolving and learning and I think because of the information that's out there, because of the television shows, because of people like myself or Mark Drury or Leo Koski or any of us that have produced and taught big whitetail hunting on television and on video, that some people want to just skip through that that middle part and go right to the trophy hunt. Yeah. And, it, and I, I was just going to say, and I'll say this, it's like when you don't have that perspective, right? It can... It can <clears throat> It can dampen your spirits for 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 the for the thrill, right? Because you you start to you know whitetail hunting in general is, is is challenging, right? And and if you are green in it, if you layer on that extra you know level of of difficulty by kind of going after an older age class, or if you want to ratchet it up even further, going after a specific deer on a property, right? And that's the only one you're going to hunt. It's like you're you're likely in for some rough seasons, you know what I mean? And I think part of it is you just got to remember that it's supposed to be fun. So whatever it is that takes it to make it fun for you, it's like, look, I, I grew up hunting, you know, I got to, you know, I don't, you know, tell any tales out of school. It's like, I got to archery hunting late. I didn't get to archery hunting until I was, you know, like 30. Right. Um, gun hunted and stuff like that. And, but you know, archery was just not something my dad did. So I didn't pick it up as a kid and it didn't pick it up until I got older and I met a an older fellow, a friend of the family who was, you know, a hardcore bow hunter all of his life. And it was just, you know, he taught me some things and I just kind of picked it up and ran from there. Um, you know, and I'm still not to the point to where, you know, I've targeted a deer on a property and I had good sits and I had encounters with it and stuff like that, but I didn't, I didn't seal the deal. Um, and even still to this day, it's like, I still go out and I'll, I'll, I'll set my standard for, well, if I'm hunting private land, I'd like to, I'd like to kill a three and a half year old, you know? If I'm hunting, you know, if I'm hunting public ground, you know, cause I go to Ohio and I hunt public ground. It's like, I'm really trying to kill a two and a half year old and better. I'd like to kill a three and a half year old. If I have a couple on camera that I know are three and a half, I might try to wait it out for one of them, but I'm also not ashamed to kill a two and a half year old. If, if it's something that makes my heart race, you know what I mean? Um, you know, and when you start, absolutely, to, yeah. And when you start to give yourself criteria, you have to be really comfortable with possibly eating a tag. You know, as of right, as we sit here today, I have, I have buck tags in two States still not filled, you know, cause I, pa- <laughs> because I passed deer, you know? Um, but yeah. I'm comfortable with that. You know, I've, I've killed deer in my history and, um, I know that I can get it done. I passed some shot opportunities and, um, and I'm happy to do so cause I have, I've set goals now and I don't, there's not a need to put something on the ground for me necessarily to validate that I, 
am a, that I can hunt necessarily. You know what I mean? And, uh, you know, I, I just think people out there that are new in it, it's like, just make sure that you're, that you're hunting and still keeping the fun in it and then level up and, and, and extend the challenge when like, when that can be fun for you, because when you're new at it, not pulling your bow back's not fun. <laughs> you know what I mean? So. Absolutely. So, you know, I guess for you listeners that are listening to this podcast, I, I, I just, I hope and pray that, um, whether it, whether it's a big name in the industry, uh, my buddies, the Drury, you know, the Drury family and, and, uh, my good friends, Lee and Tiffany Lakoski. I mean, uh, Michael Waddell, I knew all these people was friends with all these, uh, top people in the industry before anybody knew them before, before they were, before they even, uh, got very good at hunting and, 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 and killing big deer and, and, and winning turkey calling championships or whatever it may be. Um, so I, I kind of feel like I've spent a little bit of the forest gump of the industry in that I've been able to hunt with uh, guys like Harold and David Knight and Ray I and Mark and Terry Drury and Matt Moret and Eddie Salter. And, I mean, the list goes on and on and on of, of, of legendary people that I've been able to share. Chris Parrish, uh, you know, you name it. Um, Scott Ellis, uh, I mean, I, I, I don't want to leave anybody out, but there's so many different, um, people from the industry that, uh, I, I, I was, I've been able to hunt with some of the top elk hunters, walk the woods, whether I was carrying a camera or whether I was hunting with guys like Ralph Abe Moline, one of the best elk hunters that's ever lived archery elk hunters, certainly, uh, with Wayne Carlton. And again, icon in the elk. Uh, industry uh spent 10 days in in new mexico with him elk hunting um how lucky can a guy be to hunt with people like that and um you know turkey hunting and calling of course my good dear friend uh, eddie moyers from southeast missouri which my, i always said my dad taught me how to hunt turkeys eddie moyers taught me how to kill turkeys <laughs> and so yeah yeah and there's a difference yeah and so um you know, uh, uh, Walter Parrott, uh, uh, you know, again, the list goes on and on of, of legendary people, um, some that are no longer with us that I've been able to share the woods with and hunt with and share camps with. And my turkey calling years, uh, being able to compete with guys like Paul Butsky and, and, and Denny Galvis and Dick Kirby, uh, God rest his soul. Um, uh, the Rom brothers, Robbie and Terry Rom, uh, Kelly Cooper, and then fast forward to uh, your, your years of Walter Parrott, Chris Parrish, and Ricky Joe Bishop, and right. and uh, Ernie Calandrelli, and I mean the, the names go on and on. Chris Kirby, um, you know, I, I now in these years now, Matt Van Sice and Jesse Martin and Shane Hendershot, and again Scott Ellis, and I, I've lived it. I've lived a life of, of being around these people that are really, truly legends. They're really, truly so talented. They're beyond, they were beyond their years at their time. Yeah. And and, when, and you have no choice whenever, you know, when you have a group of people like that, right. And that you're able to spend time with, you know, that, that, that are your peers, you know, it's, it's that old saying where, you know, take a look at the five people who you spend the most time with. And you're going yep. to turn out like those people, you know what I mean? Like that. And it's, and it's so true. You know what I mean? Like the people you spend the most time with those five people 
are going to have the biggest influence on your life and you end up influencing each other. And, you know, for you, you had, you know, a, a great circle of hunters to kind of, to learn from bounce ideas off of grow together. You know, as you mentioned earlier, you know, it's like the, some of the folks that we know is, you know, that everyone knows is household names and stuff. It's like people didn't just drop into the timber and know how to kill a big deer. You know what I mean? Like it takes, no. it takes time and it's a process and it's, none of them showed up day one and we're killing 200 inch deer every year. You know what I mean? It's like, it takes time to get there and understand, you know, how these animals like to operate and understand, you know, basically understand their world, you know? And, you know, and it's funny you mentioned that. And so we're going to kind of start focusing more on whitetail and talk about my the new whitetail app that we have out. But um, in that process of us filming and hunting big whitetails, we didn't start filming big trophy whitetails right away. In fact, we, we released two or three just regular deer deer films where a four corner or a six point came by. We shot it. Mm-hmm. And um, we decided uh, to take that next step. And what we decided to do was a uh, to shoot nothing but mature bucks and put all those mature bucks in the wild. And I emphasize that because there were a certain uh, group of video hunters back then in the late 80s, early 90s that, you know, they basically shot their deer in a pen. It's quite obvious. Right. Um, we, we made that choice. Every Everybody has a choice to make. And those choices you make really impact your life later on. Sometimes you don't realize it. Um, and, I, and, and, and with Mark Terry and I, with Drury Outdoors, we had a choice to make, and that was stay in the 100% wild or maybe shoot a few deer in the wild if we could shoot a big one or two and then maybe finish up to finish up the production and shoot a, a, a pen-raised deer, you know, just, just to finish the production. We, we voted against that smartest move we've ever made we voted we we decided to stay 100 percent in the wild 100 percent fair chase and do it the hard way and 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 if it takes us two years to get a production done well then one year we won't release a deer film that's just the way you know maybe it costs a little money out of our pocket it's the way it goes um but the bottom line is that was the smartest move we made because we learned if anybody watched the Drury series from very early on, and you can still get those films, by the way, by going to DruryOutdoors.com and then ordering the, the early years of Drury outdoor videos. Um, I think they've got a lot of them libraried on DVD. But point is, we learned how to big hunt big whitetails actually on film. And you saw the deer we kill start getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And we were not scared. We've never been scared about uh, sharing the information of how we're taking these big whitetails, but let make no mistake, Clint, the information is out there, but a lot of people, a lot of hunters still won't change their own hunting tactics to change, to, to, to transform from, from a hunter that just basically wants to take, to basically fill tags which there's nothing wrong with that to, to coming home with that biggest buck of the woods or not, not come home with anything at all. Yeah. I mean, there's, and, and there, there's, there's a huge difference. Yeah. hundred percent. And there's, and like you said, there's tons of information out there. There's their podcast. I mean, it's just like every topic has been covered, you know, or, or will be covered. Um, and, and it's all from different angles. You know, someone asked me at one point, we did a, a Q and a session on the podcast where we had listeners write in and, 
ask us some questions. And one, I'm going to paraphrase. I don't remember the question exactly, but it was something along the lines of, you know, who, 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 you know, who that I've talked to or had the opportunity because with a podcast, like I've had an opportunity to talk to guys like yourself, you know I mean? That otherwise I probably would have never ran into, you know, so I feel fortunate that I've been able to kind of create a circle much like, you know, similarly how you were able to create one with, you know, the, the calling and the folks you were able to kind of run with, you know, as the years you were coming up, it's like, I've attempted to kind of insulate myself with, you know, folks who I, you know, look up to and think are, think are really good deer hunters. Some people know, some people will never know, you know what I mean? But it does, you know, but they're still hell of, you know, hell of a good deer hunter. Um, and my answer was, is I was like, I take, I don't ever take one person's style holistically and adopted as like, I, I kind of pick and choose the things that I like that apply to how I like to hunt. You know what I mean? I was like, and that's kind of how it is. I was like, so there's no, like, there's things I've listened to Terry, you know, Mark and Terry talk about that I, that I've picked up on, you know, just how they, how they watch deer and how they analyze behavior. It's one thing that I've definitely picked up from them. And then there's guys like Dan Enfault that I pick up. That's like super aggressive mobile and hunting buck beds, you know, hunting over bedding. And then, you know, there's guys like my buddy who lives in Jersey, Greg Litzinger, you know, who some people know about him, but he's, you know, lesser known, but the dude is just, he's a killer, you know? And so I, I talk to him and I shoot archery with him and he, he's a hell of a shooter and a competition shooter. And he helps me a lot with my form and keeping my, keeping my act together behind my bow. So it's, 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 you know, that was my answer was like, it's a little bit from, from everybody. You know what I mean? I think that's the important thing. The information is out there and don't ever feel like you have to adopt somebody's style. Um, you know, pick and choose what, yeah, it is. Absolutely. yeah pick and choose what's going to work for you and what's going to, you know, help you kind of reach the goals that you have, you know, for, for hunting. And if that's just killing the first thing that comes by, then more power to you. And if it's hunting more mature whitetails, then that's just as well also, you know, so whatever floats your, whatever floats your boat. But I wanted to shift here. Cause I wanted to ask you as we're talking about, you know, hunting, you know, whitetails and you guys making that choice to go make sure it was a hundred percent wild and fair chase. Whenever you guys were doing all the, the, the early Drury films, um, you know, on Buckman, you know, now, you know, are you guys, you know, hunting, you know, is it, are you guys hunting some public land? Are you guys hunting some private land? Is it least like, so what's, what's kind of the percentage breakdown for you guys as far as like the, the, the land that you're hunting? So my idea for Buckman TV was that we are guy we are men that that are into taking mature bucks um and 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 12 months out of the year that's what we do we i mean obviously we wait for the hunting season to take right. them but uh, <laughs> uh uh it's a tw- it's it's a full-time job um and and and, 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 if, and anybody out there listening that has done the food plots and done the uh the the manicuring of their land and managed it correctly and got your stands in and put the food plots in and got the MRI out there with the trail cameras. And then of course, and the hunting season comes and you're spending as much time as you can at the right times to hunt, uh, knows that it's a year round, it's a year round job to, to, to consistently take mature whitetails. So that's why I named the show Buckman mm-hmm. because we, we are Buckman. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I felt that the industry needed a show about everyday working people like myself, because I'm still a full-time firefighter, by the way. And a lot of a lot of people, and some of you guys listening to the podcast may not know this. I've always been a full-time firefighter and just have done the outdoor industry part-time on my time off. And a lot there's a lot of people that are actually surprised about uh, over that at different shows. I'll meet people, and first thing they say is, "Man, you're you're a little thinner than you look on TV." I'm like, "Yeah, thanks." It, that camera adds about 50 pounds. <laughs> no, I, 
<laughs> I am still pretty heavy. But anyway, um, yeah, I need to lose some weight. But uh, I've always been that way. But uh, they'll say, um, you, you know, come up about being a fireman, and they'll go, fireman? Fire- You're still a firefighter? I thought you did this full-time. You know, you work for Mossy Oak or now Woodhaven Calls or whatever, or Drury Outdoors when I was with Mark and Terry. Nope. No, I'm still a full-time firefighter. Right. So they have a hard time grasping um, so for that, I'll say my advice to you, if you're listening and you want to be full-time in the outdoor industry, you better have some money. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I hear that, man. And it's, I'm it, not, it's funny. Cause when I first yeah. started this podcast, it was, uh, you know, I'll, every now and then I'll get folks who ask me like, you know, how did you get started? I'm like, well, I don't particularly a hundred percent consider myself to be in the quote unquote outdoor in- industry. You know, I have just have a hard time saying that. And maybe I am, I, I, don't, I don't know, maybe I'm being naive, but um, you know, it's like, I've, of course have a regular full-time job that, that I, that I work as well. And when I started this podcast, it was, um, opening to me, it's not just the on, on screen, you know, talent who in many cases, you know, has some other type of full-time job that pays their bills. Um, but it's also people who own businesses or run, run outdoor businesses, you know? So I, I know that I've met guys from brands and you know, in brands that, you know, anyone out there listening would know the name of for sure. Um, knowing that the marketing director for that particular brand actually is, you know, works at, you know, X construction company or for, you know, the railroad or whatever it is that the running that yep. brand is not their full-time job, you know? So exactly. Yeah. Don't quit your day job. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> what, so if, if you want to get into the hunting I, industry, just, uh, you know, make sure you have a good job and, uh, and, 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 and yep. just know that it's gonna, it's gonna be a passion project, you know, and as long as that's the, uh, that's the goal, I think you'll be all right. But if you're definitely, if you're jumping into it to make money, you, you, you can find a lot of other things that we make more money at <laughs> than the hunting industry. So. Yeah. The, the hunting, the hunting industry is not one of them. And there are some people making money in the hunting industry, sure. but those are usually the owners the owners of the companies <clears throat> and a lot of people, and I'm not taking anything away from anybody, but are mentioning names, but many of them already had a, a, a came from pretty wealthy, um, background. Uh, so, you know, they, they, you know, uh, it takes money to make money. Um, so what I tell people that are wanting to get in the industry real quick, um, same, I tell them the same thing every single time. And that's, Find something you love to do that you can make good money at, whether it's like myself being a firefighter or uh, go to dental school and become a dentist or whatever it may be. And if you can transition from that to the hunting industry and making it uh, a living full-time living in the hunting industry, fine. But otherwise, again, don't quit your day job. Get yeah. something that you really, really love to do, gives you plenty of time off to go hunting and do stuff in the outdoor industry. And then if you can find a, whether it be a sales job or whether it be a marketing job or whether it be a pro staff job, um, there's not many of those out there, but uh, that pay and, and, and you think it's making enough money to quit your day job, then, then you can consider that. Other than that, I would, I would do the reverse. I would just make sure you, have a good solid paying job, whether it's a police officer or a teacher or, um, like I said, doctor, lawyer, whatever, and then do the hunting industry on the side and see if you can't work that into a, a livable income. Yeah, I agree. I agree with you uh, 100%. You know, I work in marketing and advertising is what I do. And so, 
you know, it's one of those things where it, it helps with, you know, doing the podcast and stuff like that. I understand some things that I can do to, you know, help myself and propel, you know, my little, my little corner of the world forward, you know, um, but, you know, definitely, um, definitely have like a regular, regular gig where I, it, that's my bread and my bread and butter. But, you know, I do want yeah. to, I do so want to, you, uh, go you, ahead. You, you, I'm sorry. You, 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 to finish on Buckman, my idea was to show, uh, to, 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 to feature, um, I have a core of friends that consistently take giant whitetails, good whitetails, mature whitetails every year, and they're everyday working people. They're farmers. They're, you know, again, firefighters, electrician, plumbers, coal mine workers. Uh, some of them work at tire factories, you know, whatever. Um, but their, their passion all year are whitetails. And I put a group of those guys together that I knew and, and, and named the show Buckman. Um, and, and our idea was not to feature us, our star, make us the star of the show, but make the whitetail and each individual whitetail we took the, the story, create the story about what lessons that whitetail taught us because each whitetail you take, and that even includes that forkhorn mm-hmm. that you're going to get, you're going to get earlier in your hunting career or that little six point or that finally you get a two and a half year old eight point. It's like breaking the ice. Um, there's a story that that deer taught you. If you just rewind the reel and look at the different things that fell in place for you to get that deer shot. Um, and, and same way with every mature buck. That's why you see so many names given to bucks. Mm-hmm. And the reason why is because you want to be able to tell that story. And a lot of people get a little, I, I guess some hunters get a little, uh, I don't know if you call it, um, sideways with the fact that people are naming whitetails, but there really is a reason behind that. And it's more of a, of a catalog thing. In other words, I can remember a buck I, I killed named Shorty on season one of Buckman. It's on episode right of one of the first episodes in season one of Buckman. You need to, uh, uh Google it on or go to YouTube channel and, and punch in, Buckman TV and go to the shorty, um, uh, episode. And that buck was a five and a half year old buck that I had hit, um, high early in the season, the first couple of days of, 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 Iowa's bow season where I live and, uh, end up shooting them, uh, later mid November. Um, he had developed a big abscess from hitting him and not, not getting him. He, he dropped at 40 yards and the arrow hit him high. And I made him, even though he wasn't the biggest buck I had on the farm, I made him top priority to get him shot because I didn't want him to die from that abscess. Um, bottom line is I named him Shorty because he had two short G2s on the back of his 10-point rack. The great buck. He was a mid-150s buck is what he scored. But that's, that's why we give the names to those deer because that partic- the different particular bucks, just uh, how, how we get them uh, learn their patterns and learn where they're living and learn their little, uh, what they expose of themselves to get them shot is, is, is a, is a lesson plan every single time. And so my vision was with this television show, and much like what the juries do is, is let's teach a, a lesson and, and show what that buck taught us. And, and these are everyday working class hunters that only get to hunt to answer your question 
uh, public ground, some of them. Some of them small pieces of private ground that they got by permission or maybe a small lease. Like that's what I do. I, I lease a 280 acre piece. Um, and that's it. You know, that's what I hunt and manage. And yeah. It's tough to hunt. It's tough to manage 280 acres. Yeah. But I, I you know, I, I do my best, you know. And and so that's what the show, I, I thought there was, a, there was a, a place in the industry or what the, in, one thing the industry could really use it's just showing everyday guys that don't have a, a massive amount of money, that don't have the resources, that don't have, you know, the farm equipment, don't have all the stuff, but still get the job done, still get the food plots in, still, still uh, uh, hunt public ground, still hunt by knocking on somebody's door and 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 figure big deer out and get them shot that way. Yeah, it's it's funny that you mentioned the shorty uh, episode because I actually had a chance to watch that one and that was a great that was a great deer. Um, and it was, it was a cool story. And as you were talking about letting the deer kind of teach you a lesson, I thought about it and it was, and you're right, man. It's like, I remember, you know, thinking back to your, your monologues in between, you know, in between hunts or during the hunts or whatever, it was always about what the deer were doing and what they were, what they were revealing to you, which I, you know, in thinking back now was really cool. And I was thinking back to just some of my own hunts this year, because, you know, when you go out into the timber, um, you know, I think getting on the topic of, you know, trying to, you know, for me, I'll just use me as an example, trying to become a better hunter every time I hunt, right? Every time I go out, I try to be better than I was the last time. Um, some days I do that. Some days I feel like I take a step back, <laughs> but it's all a, a learning process. And even that fork horn that came by you, I was thinking back to, you know, a younger deer that came through this swamp that I was hunting. Now, this is a small piece of public and I'll keep this short because people have heard me, you know, talk about this swamp this season. But it's a small piece of public, you know, near where I live on the eastern part of PA, where PA is not known for having huge deer, you know. Um, but there were a couple hundred and thirty and one, one, one ten point in there that was definitely one hundred fifty class inch, one hundred fifty class deer. Um, and but I, this is the first year I'd ever hunted it. I'd never ever set foot in it until August and scouted it and started figuring some things out, and, you know, but not everything. Um, and I was watching this young buck, and he kind of showed me how they were using the swamp because I really didn't know other than what I had seen on trail camera, which was just, you know, one singular point, you know, that they were crossing. It was a heavy trail that I knew that they were going to come by and it was really just for inventory. And he came down this little, you know, this, this little drainage that kind of ran into the middle of the swamp that, you know, kind of started from behind me. And he walked that down and I watched him and he crossed over this trail and he ended up hitting the edge and kind of jumped into the edge and followed. There's a stream that ran through it and followed that stream's edge. I was like, ah, that's like interesting. I was like, I would have not known that that's where they were kind of how they were traveling. I would have thought they were more staying closer to the edge of it than getting in, in inside the cover so much. And so the next time I went in, uh, I actually did a little scouting and went in midday, found some found some rubs and found a rub line and, and unfortunately bumped the bumped the buck out of his bed. But it was the knowledge that that fork horn gave me was what told me where I should be looking next for the next bedding area or where they might be bedding. And I set up on it and sure enough, that's, you know, that, that teaching was correct. Um, so I think even when you don't have the best hunts, you know, and when you're seeing deer, it's like, don't just, I guess, look at it like, Oh, I'm going to watch a show, you know, kind of look at what they're doing, why they're doing it. What's the wind doing? You know, what's the barometer, you know, what's the barometric pressure? Like what are all the factors and why are they doing what they're doing? Um, cause they're teaching you something if you're, if you're open enough to kind of accept it. So I think that's something yeah, that you guys do a cool job of. What, well, I appreciate that. I, you know, I think, um, 
as as we look and we dive into this the, the whitetail hunting uh, subject, um, it's important for the listeners to know that it. it uh, I, I think that a lot of people tend a lot of hunters, uh, whitetail hunters, um, that want to shoot big deer, that want to shoot and take it to that next step. So. Um, just because we're talking about hunting and killing big mature whitetails does not mean, again, we covered this earlier, but it does not mean that that is the only way to hunt. I mean, um, uh, but if you can become proficient at figuring out big whitetails, obviously you're just going to be a bigger, better deer hunter all around. Right. Um, but I think, I, I really I really believe that uh, a lot of hunters overthink a lot of their situation. Um, it, uh, in, in a sense that they're trying to, they're trying to decipher where they're betting, where, where they're traveling to and from, where they're spending their time at, where they're laying down to, to, to chew their cud, where their, you know, their rub lines are, where their scrape lines are, where this and that. And, and, and it's really not so much about that. It's, it's about just overviewing your spot, knowing your structure, knowing your wind directions. And just knowing by trail camera pictures or by seeing them visually from your stand, whatever, that by gosh, they're staying around there. And that's all, that's the biggest thing you need to know is that they're, they're actually using that as their home core area because most, most big whitetails just don't move that far. Yes. You occasionally have the wanderer and the one that'll disappear and never come back. And you'll have occasionally the one that'll disappear and then come back later in life, just like humans. But the main main thing, take home point is most, and I mean most, if I had to put a percentage on it, 90% of the big mature bucks I see don't like leaving the same little home core 50, 100 acre, 200 acre area. They just don't. They love that little. And um, don't try to overthink that. You, you got your. You've got your points that you can enter without being detected on the right wind to hunt those spots at the right time. And you'll see that deer if you don't disturb them. And, 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 and it really is, is almost as simple as that. And we learned that years ago when we first started trying to shoot mature bucks from uh, actually Jay Gregory and Don Kiske, who are two of the greatest whitetail hunters I've ever met or hunted with. Um, they were already doing that at a very young age. They had learned that it's not all about trying to figure out every single thing that buck is doing, but just find just, just uncoding where he's at, where he's spending most of his time. And the rest of it is putting time in a stand at the right time in the right way. Right. Yeah. It's, it's interesting that you say that because, you know, there was, I had, I had opportunity, you know, to have Steve Bartillo on at one point and, you know, I, all deer hunters, <laughs> I, I would venture to say that, you know, have respect for the animal that they're chasing. I've never met one that didn't. Um, but with that, you know, Steve would always say, you know, I just think we give these animals way more credit than they deserve for how smart they are. <laughs> you know what I mean? He was like, we're, yeah. he's like, you know, they, they, they don't rationalize. He's like, they're interested in three things. They're interested in feeding, they're interested in staying alive and they're interested, interested in procreating. Like the, that's their three, yep. <laughs> those three things. That's it. You know, every decision they make yep. is based on that. You know, it's not any, any deeper than that, um, necessarily, you know, and, and of course, you know, the wind and stuff like that plays a, a role in it because that's how they stay alive. They, they, they smell, they smell how we see, you know, is kind of how I always like to kind of put it. Um, but, 
you know, it's it, it, thinking that they're outsmarting us is not necessarily, um, you know, they're they're not that rational or high level of a thinker. It's just them trying to stay alive. So there, if I ever do a book, which um, th- by the way, this whitetail app called Whitetail Tech. Once again, I'll repeat. I- I'll repeat that several times because I want it's free, totally free. Go to go to your app store and and type in Whitetail Tech, and it's it's a free download. Now, eventually, it, if you want to go to a pro version, if you want to know more in-depth information, if you want to pick my brain even further, then you'll have to upgrade to the paid version. Um, but please, by all means, at least go and look at the 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 version that's free right now, and 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 we will upgrade it before it goes to paid. Right now, basically, all it is doing is covering my thoughts and my ideas about calling whitetails. Yeah. So I think um, w- with that, let's go ahead and jump in. Let's go ahead and jump into that to cover, cover just a little bit, because, you know, I, yeah. you know, as we mentioned you know, before we started recording, I was like, you know, turkey hunting and, and elk hunting. It's like people kind of understand that those are instances where calling's important, right? Turkey hunting's, you know, as I mentioned earlier, I'm a terrible, you know, turkey caller, um, you know, and, and it's very nuanced elk hunting is, is too, um, you know, it's, it's like calling in a 900 pound turkey <laughs> to a degree. Um, and people, yeah. people kind of, people kind of get that, that those two things, you know, if you're a really poor caller, it's going to be more challenging, right? If you're a really good caller, it can make all the difference. Right. Um, but I think a lot of folks, whenever they hunt deer, they don't think about calling in the same, that it's, it, it, that it holds the same importance. Now you might mean, might not be doing it as often and it may, may not be as engaging as turkey or elk hunting. It doesn't mean that it's not as um, that it can't enhance your hunts in, in similar ways. So I want to talk to you a little bit about, you know, like I guess very top, top level or high level, you know, what do you think the biggest key is to effectively calling deer? Like if you had to say, like give someone one point of advice and say, if you do nothing else and, and know nothing else about calling deer, this is the one thing you should know. The one thing you should know about calling deer is, is, is almost two answers both just as important. Number one, you got to catch them in the right mood. Number two, you have to make sure they don't get downwind of you and, and be conscious of the fact that they'll, they expect to see a deer when they hear a call. So, I mean, that's the two most critical items. And so for that, I say call deer calling has to be much more sparingly used than turkey calling because first off a whitetail buck does remember where a turkey does not um so you can call shy a whitetail buck if 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 if, if he hears a grunt and gets downwind and smells the human uh the chances of him as responding and coming to a grunt call are going to be a lot less um uh, down the road um he's cer- he's certainly going to store that in his memory bank um that being said, there are uh, a ton of the deer I have hanging on the wall that I've got because of grunt call and rattling animals. Um, so you catch them in the right mood, the right time. You can absolutely be effective with deer calling. Right. Um, probably the other most important thing, if 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 I'll answer this question in two parts, and here's why: the older I get the less blind calling I do. Hmm. And the reason for that is when, when we were younger, we were in these hot spots, whether it be Illinois, we started in Pike County, Illinois, by the way, 
a lot of people thought we started in, in, in Southern Iowa. We didn't. We started filming most of our big deer in Pike County, Illinois. Now, Jay and Don were in Iowa. But, um, and then uh, eventually we moved to, uh, to, to hunt both Iowa, North Missouri, and, 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 and Western Illinois. So we were kind of in that golden circle. Um, but what, what we used to do is we'd get to a new spot, had all kinds of big signs, and we knew to hunt the right wind, and we'd start right away banging antlers together at, when it got to be late October, early November. And we would rattle some bucks in. But you know we start noticing as time went on on blind rattling sequences, we very seldom, if not almost never, rattled in the big, most mature buck on the farm. It was typically always a two-and-a-half or three-and-a-half-year-old that would, or a year-and-a-half-old, would come busting in to see the fight. Um, typically the, and I'm not saying it'll never happen because I have rat blind rattled in some very, very upper end mature bucks. But the problem with that is when they get to a point where they know they should see a deer and please remember this listeners, when they get to a point when they meaning a big mature buck, an old buck, when he knows he should see a deer and he don't boom his mood completely changes. Hmm. He'll get tense. He'll get unsure. He'll get spooky. And most certainly probably won't completely walk past your stand. Right. Um, and, and, and so unless you've got a deep, and most people don't set up a decoy in the timber, I wouldn't recommend it. It's, it's, it's noisy and it's just really almost not necessary. But unless you would have a, a buck decoy up, right by your stand every time they're they run in to 50 60 yards in in, in our 100 and and see through the timber and see there's no deer standing there they're more than likely it, you're, you're going to get a look at them but more than likely you're not going to get a shot at them. right and so um so, so that i say be very cautious when you blind rattle make darn sure i will only blind rattle by the way in spots more like field edge spots where the wind's blowing from the timber out to the field where they had a little ha- they would literally have to go out in the field to get downwind of me. Um, and then maybe sometimes set a decoy in the field part in case they do come in. Um, that, that's about the only time I ever blind, blind rattle and grunt anymore. Most, most all the times I rattle or grunt to a deer is when I see a buck, I know I'm not going to get a shot. And I have nothing else to lose but throw some calls at them to try and get them to come my way. Right. It's interesting because you know the that Hunt Tech app that you that you're that you're part of. I started I started looking through it and was checking out some of the different you know grunt or the different calls and you know when you should use them and stuff like that. And the one thing that I saw is just exactly what you were mentioning, which is you know a deer is going to expect to see a deer if, if it's being called to. And I was always curious because there's this one spot that I go to in Ohio that hunted this year that I've always had really good success grunting, grunting deer in. Um, not so much this year. I saw deer and grunted at them. They just didn't respond. Um, but in years past, I've had them come in on a string and just ready to ready to throw down and fight. But the where I was set up was just as this ridge starts to roll down this kind of really steep, uh, you know, I guess it would have been the, the, the north face of it. And uh, – the only way they could come see what was happening or what, what might be down there is they had to crest that, that ridge and come over just the edge of it to look down over. And it's pretty sheer, so they had to come over pretty far. And I started thinking whenever I read that on the app, um, 
I was like, okay, that's why the rat or that's why grunting has worked up there and why I've gotten such close opportunities was because they literally had to come kind of check fit visually and they had to come that far to get a visual of if, whether there was a deer there or not. So, um, yeah. So then you just answered a huge, huge part of, of calling success. And that is there are some spots that, you, that, that, that set, that will set you up better for success. Mm-hmm. Um, and other spots I wouldn't even bother calling or rattling out of just simply because how you're situated in, 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 in say, uh, and a good example is deep in the timber. I don't hardly ever call or grunt when I'm deep in timber, timber, I'm sorry, deep in the timber, um, spots. Uh, I will sometimes some soft grunts, light, but, you do not want to reveal where you're at and, and have that deer look and, and, and not see another deer. Right. Um, so to that point now, real quick, Clint, they, <laughs> your, your, your listeners out there, you can hang your stands, not far travel corridors, not far rut funnels, not far pinch points, but you can actually hang rattling and grunting stands, stands that are really just, set up uh, like on an inside corner of a field where they can't get down wind of you, but they got to come out of the timber to, to, to uh, actually literally come out in the field to get downwind of you. And, and, and it's just kind of an observatory type stand that if you do see a good one traveling in the timber, then you can throw the antlers rattling sequence, run at them, whatever you got to do. And your chances of calling that deer in are going to be far greater because he's going to ha- come all the way almost to the field edge to see, what deer is making that sound. So you can set yourself up better for success by hanging or calling success. Right. I'm curious, what, what call have you had the most success with? So like, as far as like, if you were going through the list of different types of calling that you could do, so whether it be attending grunt, trailing grunt, snort wheeze, whatever the case is, what has been the one that you have had the most success with most often? Oh, well, I would, you know, you talk about the different uh, calls. I would say either the, the regular trailing grunt or the uh, grunt snort wheeze. One of those two. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And 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 reason why is um, the, the, the trailing grunt is, is that low grunt that, and if you get on the Whitetail Tech app, I'll show you. I don't have a call with me. But, I mean, it sounds like a grunt almost every step. Hmm. And. Typically, you'll hear them do that when they're scent trailing a doe. They don't necessarily always write with a doe, but they're scent trailing a doe. Um, very effective because uh, it's low. It doesn't create a lot of attention. They can't really tell where it's coming from is, is, is accurate, is like rattling or your louder sounds. Um, the other call is, is the grunt snort wheeze, and, and, and mainly like the snort wheeze. And the reason why is um, they hear another buck snort wheeze, they know there, that that buck is 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 fending off other bucks for an estrus doe, and if that's the bull of the woods, he's going to come check it out. He's going to try and get downwind of the source and come check it out. Um, I've, I've really hardly ever seen. I and by the way, I was involved in the the creation of the very first front snort wheeze call. We were the first ones to ever produce that call because I would hear bucks do it. Um, fending other bucks off. And I felt like, we felt like if you could just 
incorporate that into a call, it would be effective. And it has been. And I, I will tell you, I don't use it very often. Again, only when I know all, all things, uh, there's nothing else has worked. Even grunting hasn't worked, even whatever. And then that snort wheeze typically will be the last tool that I'll use, but it will, it usually will, will bring them around at least, uh, uh, to give me a chance, you know, (laughs) Why do you think, I'm just curious, so why do you think the, that you have more success with the trailing grunt versus the tending grunt? Because I feel like a lot of folks, especially during the rut, probably go to their tending grunt. And it sounds like they might be going to the to the, the wrong one, possibly, depending on their on their scenario. Why do you think that that one seems to be more effective than the tending one? Because I would think if I were if I were throwing out a tending grunt and a buck thought that I had a doe kind of pinned down, then that would then kind of trigger him to say, hey, there's a girlfriend over here. I need to go. Uh, I need to go try to bust this guy off of. Well, there's no no doubt that the, the tending grunt is effective. There's not a whole lot of differences other than tending grunts a little louder. Okay. And, and a little kind of the tending grunts basically halfway between a buck growl and a, and a, and a trailing grunt. Um, but I'd say probably the reason why I have more luck with the ten with the trailing grunt is simple. That's what you hear the most. That you'll hear more of that little low almost can't hear grunt on where they're doing it almost every step as they're coming through than any other grunt you'll hear in the woods. Wow. Okay. Interesting. I, uh, I'm going to have to uh, keep that in mind for, for next year for, cause I feel like I'm doing, I feel like when I call, I'm probably using the tending grunt more than I'm using the trailing grunt, which it might be what's, uh, what's, what's fouling me up here a little bit. I, I would definitely start with the trailing grunt, and if that don't work, maybe switch to the tending grunt, and uh, just to get their attention. Obviously, sometimes they won't hear it, and so then you got to be a little louder. Right. And so that tending that tending grunt is your chance to get louder. And of course, the buck growl is the loudest of the three. Right. Now, with the doe bleat, you know, like an estrus bleat, have you had much success success with that? Because all the different times that I've tried it. I've never had I've never had any success with it with a with like an estrus bleed or anything like that. How how you you fared with that one? So um, I, I I've I've taken several nice deer because of the doe bleed, and that is um, where I've actually bleeded the doe that the buck was with in, and then got a shot at him and, and got him shot, um, and then I actually. Uh, on one of the jury films, actually on Monster Bucks Three, I doe bleated um, uh, at a, a buck was actually chasing a doe. Uh, I think he lost track of her. I doe bleated, and he ended up coming right in, thinking that that's probably the doe he lost. Hmm. So they're, they're, I'm not saying it's 110 percent effective every time, right? But it's certainly a, a tool that you can use um, in a particular when you see a buck trailing or tending a doe Mm -hmm. because and 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 i can't tell you how important it is to make that buck lose track of the doe he's following if you Mm -hmm. can get his attention make him stop one time and look a lot of times that doe is kind of on a mission and going if he loses track of her what he's going to think is now that doe he's been trailing is now over where you're at right so um absolutely a, a great tool to use nice so you know to to kind of wrap up the call section is there any other kind of things people should consider when they're when they're calling in, in the deer woods 
Well, I, I, I think a deer call is, and, and again, go to the Whitetail Tech app, load it on your phone, get familiar with all the calls. We have the live Whitetails doing it, and we have me actually uh, uh, giving my version of it and, and when to use it, how to use the call. Of course, I use the Woodhaven Stinger ProFlex series, mm-hmm. my favorite series of deer calls, and they're awesome. But no matter what deer, deer call you use, you can go to that Whitetail app, Whitetail Tech app, load it on your phone. And then also there's a section after each call that lets you, you can record your own calling and compare it to what we've got on there. Either you can compare it to my calling or you can compare it to the real deer. We have, with each call, we have the, the real deer Whitetail doing that call as well. Yeah, it's... Um, it's really cool because you can also like one of my favorite parts is is not just listening to those like listening to the to, to the white tail doing it and then listening to how you're kind of you know mimicking mimicking it with with the call, but then also going in and reading, you know there's there's bullet points for each one of them so it kind of outlines you know w- you know what you should what this deer is going to expect whenever you call kind of how you mentioned they're going to want to see a deer but there's different things that you know they're gonna they're gonna think and then what reaction is that call really going to possibly solicit from, from the deer and that, you know, and what time of year, you know, or what part of the season is it going to be most effective or should it be most often utilized and stuff like that. So it's, it's, it's an awesome kind of outline, you know, for anyone who's, you know, well, for me, even who's been doing it for a while, it's like, I'm, I'm looking at it, listening to it going, man, I've been doing that one wrong for like four years. <laughs> yeah. You know, and for your listeners at, at some point you have just like Turkey hunting, you have to know when to basically shut up. You have to know when to let that buck hunt you. Um, so certainly once you get his attention and he starts committing your direction, put the call away unless he starts fading back away again. I mean, let him come hunt you. Let him walk in as natural uh, as he can, as close, especially if you're bow hunting, uh, to get a shot. Because obviously if he's coming your direction and you keep calling at him, that is that is not going to, that's not going to go well because eventually he's going to figure out that call is coming from 20 foot up in the tree, you know? And <laughs> right. So, so you got to, at some point, let the animal hunt you when you're using a call. And again, I repeat myself sparingly, keep your calls with you, keep them handy in case you got to use them. But if you don't have to use them, don't. Yeah. And if you have to, if you have to use them sparingly enough, just get their attention and hopefully get them to come your way. If they do make that commitment to come your direction, let them hunt you out. That's right. You don't have to call to them anymore. Yeah, that's great advice. But the uh, I, I want to be sensitive to your time. I know we I know we both have some misses that are looking for a little bit of uh, looking looking for a little bit of husband wife time this evening before we both have uh, long weekends. I know you're getting ready to travel to uh, travel to Iowa. But before I let you go, if I could. If you wouldn't mind, give me one hunting story that you have that is uh, that's memorable to you. It could just be a really cool hunt. It could be a you know a great you know a great kill, or it could be a near miss that just kind of taught you a lot. So your choice. Would love to hear a story from you. Wow, <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> it put you on the spot. <laughs> oh man, I I, I mean, uh, my obviously my favorite hunt, hunting story is when my daughter got her first turkey. You know, yeah. Um, so, I mean, that just goes without saying when, you know, she was, I was 11 when I got my first turkey. My dad called it in for me. She was 11 when I called her first turkey in for her. 
Now, I will tell you, I have two daughters, and neither one of them really took into hunting very, very heavy. Mm-hmm. But, you know, uh, I, I took them, and they did it. They, you know, they kind of experienced it and uh, got got turkeys, and, and, and they, but they just never did fall in love with it. And it didn't break my heart because at least I gave them the opportunity to do it. Um, uh, but that, that probably would be my most memorable, uh, you know, most memorable. Um, my, to answer your question is probably the latest buck that I just shot. Um, always your next, your next, uh, uh, buck, your next whitetail, um, to me is the story to me is the story of your life. And that, uh, between developing a game plan farm, uh, 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 scouting farm, hanging the trail cans, planting the food plots, doing your due diligence as far as staying out of the area um, and not, excuse me, not let them know you're hunting him, um, figuring out where his home core area is, uh, figuring out where you need to hunt them at the right times. Um, that's, that's my, I get more enjoyment out of looking at trail cam pictures and doing the work ahead of time and scouting and locating and finding the sign and just doing the things it takes to get a big deer shot and the actual hunt. I mean, to me, that's, to me, that's the hunt. When you're in the big, big mature whitetails, the hunt is all the, the preparation and the work and the sweat equity that it takes. And the actual day that you put the arrow in the deer, that's, that's just the cherry on top of the cake. In yeah. I hundred percent agree with you, man. It's like, you know, I, I love, I love hunting. I love, I love archery season. Um, you know, as I said, I have two tags left and I'm actually going to be headed out tomorrow evening, you know, hoping these deer in the swamp went back to their bed to food pattern because they disappeared during the rut. Um, you know, it, it, I'll be with a bow. It's gun season still here in PA. Tomorrow's the last day, but I'll be with a, with a bow trying to make it, uh, trying to make it happen. But I've already started kind of looking toward, um, I'll be in Iowa next year, so I should draw for Iowa next year. And so I'm getting ready to come out this spring to scout, you know, with a, a buddy of mine who lives out there and um, hopefully start putting some puzzle pieces together for out there. So I'm already looking forward to that chess match and putting the puzzle puzzle together for, for that hunt. Um, you know, so I, I'm right there with you. It's like it's 365 days a year. It's probably not a day that goes by. I don't think about it. And uh, I'm always I'm always looking for the next challenge and the next hunt and, and, and seeing what that uh you know, what that strategy might look like and put that in and putting that together. But before I let you, uh, Absolutely. yeah, before I let you get going though, I want I'd like for you to let folks know out there where they could learn more about you, where they can see you, where they can watch you, listen to you, whatever, you know, social media, all those types of things. So if you wouldn't mind, let us know where we can, uh, where we can run into Steve Stoltz at online in, in the, in the world. Well, you can start with, um, again, uh, going to your, go to your app store on your phone. On your search engine, type in Whitetail Tech. Um, it's by GotGameTech.com. And you can go to their website, too, GotGameTech.com. But uh, to get it on your phone, go to that app. It's, it's, it's 100% free. Load it on there. Right now, it's just got all the deer calling. It's basically being built as we go along. So to start... All, the whole gist of the app right now is all deer calling and, and deer calling techniques, rattling techniques, and, and so forth. 
as we go further into it, we will go and cover everything from scouting, from locating, to food plots, to tree stands, and where I think how to hang tree stands in the right places at the right time. Moon phases, of course, early season and the different phases of the rut, and late season whitetail hunting, uh, off season scouting tactics. Um, what my thoughts are on scent techniques and scent technology. Um, you'll be basically, as time goes on, this app will be picking Steve Stoltz's brain on how I'm getting uh, these these nice white tails shot uh, on a on a working man's budget. And um, if you want to if you want to see the TV show again, go to Buckman TV on YouTube. Just go, go to YouTube, type in Buckman TV. Take a look at our last two uh, 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 series, uh, sorry, season one and season two. We do have season three complete. We just have not aired it yet, Um, but eventually Buckman season three will be coming out. I do not know what television channel it'll be on, uh, but it'll definitely be on our YouTube channel. And we do have a website, www.buckman, B-U-C-K-M-E-N, TV. Dot com, and you can go in, uh, on that website, and, and, and that'll take you to our YouTube channel as well. You can go to the Mossy Oak website and type in Pro Staff. I'm, um, I can be found there, as well as Woodhaven Custom Calls at www.woodhavencustomcalls.com. And again, uh, go to their Pro Staff section. I can be found there. And the Stinger Pro Flex series of deer calls can be also found on the Woodhaven website. So, uh, yeah, a lot of, uh, a lot of exciting things. And, uh, I'm, I'm of course getting kind of resurging back into Turkey call and I climbed back in there and was in the finals of the 2018 grand nationals. So if you're going to the national wild turkey federation in February, uh, I think it's February 14th, 15th and 16th, uh, and 17th of 2019, at Nashville, Tennessee, at Opryland Hotel. Come on by. I'll be doing a turkey hunting seminar, uh, and I'll be competing in the Grand National Turkey Calling Championships. And just look on the program, find out where I'm at. If, if you can't find me, go to the Woodhaven Custom Calls booth and come see me. But, uh, yeah, a lot of exciting things coming out. Awesome, and you um, are you're one busy guy on top of uh, on top of firefighting, man. So I would like – I would I imagine uh, – there is no uh, a Rolling Stone gra- uh, gathers no moss on your end is what, is what I'm saying I guess. <laughs> but well, it, it's it, it's a dream job I yeah. can tell you that I, I have a dream I have a very understanding wife obviously she's uh, the uh, she's the, well I can't tell you how how important it is to have uh, I've been married 23 years and she is the most phenomenal thing that I have ever been able to meet or, or be around and I I might. Uh, most certainly say I married up because she's beautiful. Um, I have two beautiful daughters, a very understanding family, and they just know that uh, I'm going to hunt. You know, that's just me. And uh, when they, and it's in your DNA, but I'm certainly blessed, blessed to be able to be a full-time firefighter. I'm blessed here. Six years ago, I moved full-time to Iowa. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a resident of Iowa nice. and um, pr- proud, proud to be a resident of, 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 of Iowa and, 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 um, I've always said I grew up all my life in Missouri and I'm going to die in Iowa. So nice. Yeah. So that's, <laughs> but, that's a pretty yeah. good deal. Uh, 
That's a pretty good deal, man. So yeah. I, I might have to uh, I might have to pick your brain here before I come to Iowa. Um, you know, get some get some tips from you and see if I can steal some of your uh, some of your secrets. But until then, my friend, thanks for coming on. I appreciate it. Uh, everyone out there, go check out Steve Stoltz at all the places that he mentioned. I'll put all the links in the in the uh, blog post show notes so you can easily find him and find out more about what's going on with him. Steve, thanks for coming on, buddy. I appreciate it. Thanks, Clint. Thanks for having me. All right, folks, that is a wrap for today's show. We'd like to thank Steve for joining. Be sure to head over to BuckmanTV.com and YouTube to check out the videos of their hunts. I'll put the the links to both of these in the blog post show notes so you can find them easily. We'd, of course, like to thank all of you for listening. And if you haven't yet, please head over to iTunes and leave us a five-star rating. And be sure to subscribe to the podcast. And before we shut this thing down, we need to give a big shout-out to our partners that continue to help us make this podcast possible. Wicked Tree Gear, Exodus Outdoor Gear, Trophy Ridge, Ozonics, Obsession Bows, Tecamani Seed, Glacier Coolers, Ramcat Broadheads, Trophy Taker Rests, and Dead Down Wind. And until next time, we'll see y'all. Makes me proud, makes me steal. I could show you through the door. Truth merch is in stock at truthfromthestand.com and on YouTube below any of the Truth From The Stand videos. I've got some new hats, beanies, t-shirts, long sleeve t-shirts, and sweatshirts. There's even a new do hard shit hat for those of us who like to embrace microdosing adversity. So head to truthfromthestand.com and check out the new gear and use the code TRUTH, T-R-U-T-H, and save yourself some cash on the new gear.